Hi Klaus, what was your first computer? Hi Adam, so my first computer was an Atari ST, um, 1040 ST. Nice one, with nice graphics. It was the Amiga competitor. Yes, and there were always uh, fierce discussions between those two groups, the yeah, Amiga exactly. users and the Atari users. So how you got it? Actually, my, my father bought it, but um, I was uh, quick also um, trying it out. I mean, it was, I think, about 13 when we got it. And um, first, my friends and I, we were doing games, of course. And quickly, I sometimes uh, got uh, sick of just doing what the um, programs, the, the games, uh, prepared for me and, and wanted to learn how, how I can do my own things there. So started programming. Yeah, started probably as many people at that time with BASIC. Uh, Okay. And there was this nice basic dialect, uh, GFA basic at the GFA. time. GFR, GFR basic. I mean, okay. at that time, Never I just pronounced it in German. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was specific for Atari, I think. Mm-hmm. One question uh, regarding gaming. What I remember was the Atari. There was mm-hmm. a game about martial arts. This was like a samurai or karate or something. But this was not... Uh, it well, was... Uh, and and uh, the, the, the graphics were beautiful. I only had the opportunity to watch it several times. But I remember vividly, you know, there was like a figure with... A sword or something like this? This was not like just karate fighting, so it was more than that. Do you remember the game? I don't know. There were several okay. martial arts games. But the graphics yeah. were beautiful back then. Yeah, from okay. that time. Yeah, sure. So I had the ZX Spectrum, and uh, I know the Atari was a completely different world for me. Yeah, so um, in the beginning, we just had, uh, as my father bought it for work, uh, we just had this monochrome monitor. So oh, in the okay. beginning, I couldn't really participate, but later on, with my own saved money, I then bought that color monitor and then... CRT, of course. It was much nicer, yeah. Your father was a programmer? No, no, not at all, actually. <laughs> He's a, he was a forester, but still oh. he, he uh, worked with the computer in his spare time and, and did things with uh, text uh, um, programs at the time and, and so on. Oh. Even created databases and, and relational databases, yeah. I, was, uh, I worked uh, in, in a city of Wolfsburg one time. And in the train back, there were in the uh, in the train uh, some people who uh, had a conversation about transactions, satellites, and rabbits. <laughs> and I say rabbits, and then I say, okay, sorry, uh, uh, I'm not supposed to hear what you're saying. What is way too, you know, way too interesting? Why you are tracking rabbits via satellites, and and uh, why you need transactions? I say, yeah. We have the uh, no the the problem with uh, so they they do some statistics and they were I think in uh, Nuremberg and they have to count rabbits in uh, Bavaria and uh, to provide some statistics and this is a hard job because they drive around with a multivan and try you know to count the rabbits okay <laughs> not that interesting and then they start with wild pigs and I ask them and and they say okay the wild pigs is uh, another problem because they have to catch them and I don't know for okay, oh they have to catch them. There was a computer from Netherlands, and they had to attach the computer to the white pick, and the computer measured, you know, I don't know what, uh, bl- blood pressure and whatever. And then they had to uh, catch the pick again to get the data, and this was very dangerous. And they say, uh, because it's dangerous, this is the job of students. <laughs> so, okay, understood. And, uh, and then what I remember, I don't know whether you know peer-to-peer technology, Jackstar back then with Java. And I told them, okay, what you could do, you could build a, pa- a pick network, you know, between the picks. So then one pick will transmit data to, the, to another pick, and then it's enough just to catch one pick, and it will get, get the data of the entire family, or how to call it. And they told me, this is great, because then they could, you know, to measure the, uh, or measure, to observe the behavior of picks, how, how often one family, you know, meets the other family, and this is a complete different area of research. And then they asked me, okay, uh, they wanted to go out in the train in Nuremberg, but they stay until Munich. They bought another ticket, and we had conversation about design of such a system. So there was also, you said that your father was a forester with computer yep. uh, background, and this was exactly the same. They were like, you know, scientists. And, uh, uh, and for me, it was crazy interesting, you know, to try. Hey, and they wanted to use uh, satellites, you know, to have pictures of mm-hmm. the rabbits, but uh, they were too small back then. And uh, pigs uh, would work, but for pigs, they need another data. So just, sorry, I just immediately got, you know, <laughs> this story about, yep. uh, this was an institute for, uh, in German was Wildtierzuchtforschung or something like this. I remember this okay. because I got the business cards from them and everything, right? So, sorry, so sorry for the interruption. So, uh, you started GFA <laughs> Basic. Um, yes. Yes, and uh, because the game became too boring and you wanted to do something else, is what I understood, right? Yes, exactly. So in the beginning, I tried some 
graphics and, and game programming, but not really stuck to it. And, and um, uh, also, BASIC was not the real thing. So for Atari, like many other systems, C programming was actually the, the real thing. And um, at that time, I mean, I didn't have the internet, so I had to rely on, on books. The Atari ST Pro, Profi Buch, I think it was called. Oh, okay. Was explaining all the BIOS in twenty four hours, right? So everything was twenty four hours or in seven days. So profi in yeah, yeah, <laughs> for dummies, okay, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah, that was actually going quite deep into it. So okay. really, uh, all explaining all the BIOS hooks and and everything. So uh, really deep into the operating system. And so I started C programming and later even uh, a bit of assembler for for that processor, the mm-hmm. um, processor that was part of the Atari, I think the uh, Motorola processor. Yeah. And um, did some optimized things. I remember that um, with those early hard disks we had. Yeah, um, one question. Uh, what, was, what is the very yeah, first program you wrote? Don't really remember, actually. But what was the idea? I know usually you would like to... Uh, okay, so one of the first things I tried was um, motivated by games. I created some simple uh, sprites, so a okay. little icon, and, and tried to move it around the screen and, and used for loops for this. And so that was how I got the idea of for loops and, and okay. coordinates on the screen. Um, it was pretty much the first thing I remember. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. And then uh, you you find out that uh, basic is not the real thing, or why yeah. you find it out? Because you because in in the book uh, and everywhere there were references to C and, and the C oh. data structures of the operating system, and it was always cumbersome to to make use of all these things mm-hmm. um, from within uh, basic. You had to use those. Uh, commands for manipulating uh, memory, I think, peak and poke uh, uh, was called. And that was this quite... drove me crazy, peak and poke. Yes. So the <laughs> basic was okay, but I always ask, you know, how they got the idea what this is supposed to do. There was no way for me to find out what the numbers actually are meaning. This was, yeah. And, and you, yeah, you were also yeah. frustrated with peak and pokes? Yes, yeah, so it was for, for manipulating those data structures that are then used for those uh, operating system routines. And um, so in C, those were just normal, ordinary data structures, and it was very natural to deal with these things. And, yeah. um, I, I know that I even saved my pocket money, uh, 400 marks at that time, quite a bit. <laughs> 400? A, now it's 200 euros, m- much more than yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and, and, and I saved that to buy the first uh, development suite around C. So uh, pure C, it was from, from what first company? was known as... To- uh, Bolland, I think. Bolland. Uh, so it was first known as Turbo C, and on the other, uh, um, in the rest of the world, so on PCs, but on Atari, I think it was then Pure C, and um, so it was the compiler, the debugger, and, and everything. And how you installed that with uh, floppies, floppy disk, or? Good question. I think I had it on floppies. I, I must have. I mean, when okay. I started, we didn't even have a hard, had a, we didn't even have a hard drive. As far as the I smaller floppies so or the larger one? The smaller ones. The smaller so ones. But they only it was um, double density, not high density. That's ah, what okay. I remember. But you have to to do I know, a hole, and then you had the double uh, the high density, right? Yeah, but the the floppy uh, um, drive inside the Atari only could do double density. Ah, and, uh, ignore the holes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So then it started with C, and uh, what you, what you did with C then? Better sprites. No. Uh, so one thing I remember is that I I wanted to also. Uh, create those user interfaces that were common already on the Atari. So mm-hmm. with this graphics environment manager, GEM, I think, mm-hmm. um, similar to what the Mac had at that time and was would have been still very advanced for the PC world. Uh, and um, so that's what I was trying to do. Uh, so more utility uh, development. And mm-hmm. One of the things, when we got a hard drive, it was, I don't know, 10, 10 or 20 megabytes or something. <laughs> um, it still took... Uh, quite some time to um, get the information how much uh, space is still free on that uh, hard drive. Okay. And um, I thought that might go better. And, and then I actually wrote a small assembler routine going through these uh, data structures of the, the file allocation table and, and counting the free blocks and embedded that then into a C program that did the whole user interfacing. That how, was, old, how old were you back then? Uh, 15 or 16, I think. And how, how, how much time do you spend with computers? <laughs> I don't know. At that time, quite a bit, I think. But yeah, two days, a, uh, two hours a day. Maybe. I mean, I was school and I had still sports and everything. So uh, yeah. Okay. I still had a life uh, apart from computers, but uh, yeah. Okay. It was quite a bit. Yeah, it's amazing. And 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 uh, what you did was the program. You could actually sell it, right? Uh, yes. Uh, I 
I called Atari ah. <laughs> because I, I told them that's my, my tool is much faster than, than what you have built into your operating systems. And they, they told me I should send it to them, but they never replied. So ah. I don't know. I this is how, this how Apple started probably, you know. <laughs> 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 then Steve Jobs got it and this was the initial, you know. Okay. Yeah, this is a pity actually. If they would respond, yeah. you know, this would be a, this is a big deal for a 15 years old. <laughs> but uh, this yeah. is actually cool. Okay. And Okay, what happened then? So how 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 long you had the Atari? I think I was seventeen or eighteen then. So five the, years. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, when I then had to use a PC because I, I got my first uh, programming job, so to speak. Um, with eighteen, uh, doing some with seventeen. I was still at school, so. Um, how you got it? I was doing some C programming for a small company nearby. Um, well, how you found the company? Uh, it was I think the uncle of of some. Um, okay. Some girl in my class, ah. really just by, by local connections. Okay. And um, yeah, so it was DOS programming and later on also Windows Visual Studio then for Windows 3.1, I think. And what, what for that, the, I needed a PC. What, what the company did and what was your, what you actually provided for them? So what you implemented? Uh, did some software that is used to maintain programs for, oh, I don't know the English terms for that, Werkzeug machine. Um, ah, the so tooling, those, right? The tool machines. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, and and uh -huh. those programs for those machines need to be maintained and, and edited somehow. And they uh, develop those specific editors for those machines and also some software to maintain the modules that are um, used for those machines. And okay. I helped develop an editor for those uh, uh, machines, first uh, on DOS and, and later on Windows. And help means you did uh, larger parts or you just no formatted code? So <laughs> what was your job? Uh, a bit more. So okay. um, I started... So the, They they just started exploring Windows at that time, so they they still had just DOS, and and I was I think pretty much the first person uh, just looking at Visual Studio and and, and all these tools and, mm -hmm. and um, trying uh, out how to use the Microsoft Foundation classes I think it was called um, um, yeah, to MFC do Windows programming and and then got into this uh, UI programming for Windows a bit. And and uh, which school was it? You were at gymnasium, German high school or yes, okay, gymnasium exactly yeah. Okay, so not bad because gymnasium is already pretty hard. So you had time to work, you know, aside, and you are still alive, and uh, you know, <laughs> girls, yes. friends with uh, companies <laughs> behind. So nice. And uh, you started to study something, I, I suppose, computer science. Computer science, yeah. So, in, in Aachen. Okay, and you really knew that you know the computer science is a thing, so you like that. Yes. So uh, people warned me all the time because they said it's going to be hard and a lot of mathematics. But I, I always uh, knew I, I had to do that, and cool. I never regretted it. So yes. Yeah. So at at the university. So were you disappointed a bit, or you liked what you what happened to you in at the university, or what was your experience? So the beginning was a bit hard because at least at that time I don't know how it is these days. Uh, it was a lot of theory and mathematics, mm -hmm. but uh, I didn't regret it or anything. Uh, We just had to uh, make sure that we get our practice uh, aside from the classes. So um, yeah. I was living in a, in a dormitory where we had our own network and got then into network administration there. And, and that was also when I got into contact with Linux. And um, yeah, so I made sure I got some practical experience aside from the university classes. Okay, cool. And uh, you started to, uh, which programming languages you use at the university still see? Um, in the classes, we had to uh, use some Lisp dialect scheme, it was called. And uh -huh. um, I was also doing C and C++. Um, uh -huh. So C++, I started already for the Windows programming. And you like Lisp? Uh, uh, at that time, not that much, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, the functional programming uh, came back over the past, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, of course, with a lot of interesting languages. But at that time, I wasn't too impressed. So, <laughs> As I saw um, Lisp in, at school yeah. with all the brackets. Told, yes, exactly. I thought you are all crazy. No, excuse me. <laughs> Regardless how great it is, I I don't like it. This is this was this was my first reaction to Lisp. I said, okay, this is this will never fly. But it uh, was was good because a lot yeah, of people of already had some some in, some experience. But usually with uh, languages like Pascal and um, so uh, starting with this functional programming, the, the professor made sure that everybody started from scratch. And um, that yeah, was uh, okay. Quite this is a good trick, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I had the same re reaction to Objective C as I saw, you know, the source code. I said, okay, this is somehow crazy. Sorry, <laughs> this is like, um, but yeah, back to you. So you did C and C plus for the university. You built something special, or we just follow, you know, the curriculum. Um, that time, I think I fo mostly followed the curriculum. 
Um, later, I started also Java. I mean, it was then the later 90s already, and um, Java was really very popular then. At the university and or after? At university. Okay. So I did a I did a foreign year in, in the foreign country in, in Switzerland. Cool. <laughs> foreign. University. Okay. Yeah. yeah, well, it's it's French-speaking, so it was oh, quite foreign okay. to then, me. That is really foreign, okay. And uh, so it was in Lausanne, and there mm -hmm. people were already, it was much more oriented uh, according to, to practical engineering work than, than our university in Aachen was at the time. And mm -hmm. um, there people were already doing a lot with Java, and I had to do also projects aside from classes to, to hand them in and, and get uh, marks for them. Mm -hmm. And um, so there I did a lot of Java. With, with which Java version you started? You remember that? I think it was 1.2. Okay. It was really brand new at the time. So I remember that I, I saw a lot of Java coding that was done with 1.0 and 1.1. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in 1.2, a few new things were already introduced. And that's what I, I remember. But, um, no, uh, so you programmed at, uh, didn't want to do interactive. Mm -hmm. So is, what you did with Java at the university then? There were some interesting classes around um uh, genetic programming and uh, genetic algorithms and, and all those um, um, concepts in, in computer science that are somehow motivated by biology. That was uh, quite interesting. And, and I had to do a program then uh, showing the genetic uh, programming. So uh, doing um, new generations of, of some optimization problem, mutations, and, and um, this fitness algorithm that then uh, only lets survive the, the best um, uh, individuals per generation to to solve some optimization problems. Yeah, and uh, what's what's interesting with the genetic algorithms is they are I would say the idea is quite simple. As I remember, is you have like you know two choices and you add some random stuff to it and you let it go and then evaluate if it's better then it will survive otherwise it dies. It works roughly like this, right? Yes. <laughs> so right. and and. Uh, and uh, I took a look at that because back then, I don't know whether you remember, like five to, I don't know, probably eight years ago, they built an antenna for a satellite using genetic algorithm. And the antenna looked uh, crazy, but it worked very well. It was built with such a genetic algorithm, right? Mm -hmm. and, so uh, I did only a small thing, but uh, the institute there, uh, one of the institutes was, I think, working with uh, Swisscom at, at the time to mm -hmm. optimize the distribution of... Um, uh, cell phone uh, stations uh, uh -huh. in Switzerland used uh, this there, the, yes. But the genetic algorithm is somehow related to backtracing, I always thought, because backtracing was a, like a primitive idea of that, yeah? You do something, and if it doesn't work, you come back uh, two layers and you attempt a different, different approach. I don't know. This I mean, is what you, you have to find some encoding of, of the solutions to a problem and, and then some fitness function to evaluate the yeah. solutions. Yeah. And uh, a genome, so to speak, and, and then the fitness and yeah. Uh, we then mimicked the, the natural process of, uh, so we, we did the crossover of two genomes to create a new one, added yeah. some degree of mutation, and uh, then, so it's not, I don't see that it's related to backtracing. The, the backtracing was, uh, for me, is like a primitive form of that. You just try something and then go back, and then try and go back. And with the uh, genetic, in my mm -hmm. eyes, is like, you know, combining uh, two things and, and a little bit random. So it's like, you know, yeah. back tracing on steroids. I would, so for me, from conceptual level. Okay, like, but yeah. but you don't really go back to anything. So you, you just uh, ah, you yeah, exactly. You move forward yeah. always in genetic yes. because you always combine two results to the next one with a little bit of random. Yes. Exactly. On back tracing, you go back and try something mm -hmm. new. So exactly. Uh, yeah, but for, I don't know why. I always know if I hear genetic algorithm, I always you know uh, uh, think about backtracking. Um, and <laughs> nowadays, you could sell it as uh, as machine learning, probably right. <laughs> A simple form of that, maybe yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Nice. This sounds actually interesting, and and uh, I can imagine that you could do nice visualizations of what actually happens in the system, right? Yes, and that's what I did in a Java applet. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this was interesting because you could look what this was like, almost like a game, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was yeah. fun to watch then. <laughs> what? How is it called Mendel tree? You know where you where you can. Visit? Oh yeah, I know those. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess it will look almost like that. Okay. Cool. You did this at the university. What? What? What else? This was quite interesting. So, yeah. So uh, back in Germany, I got then a, a job at one of the research institutes in Aachen, and I did or well, helped a bit on the research um, about mobile agents. That was a research topic, a, fo a popular research topic then. So oh. um, little, little pieces of code that that um, 
move uh, through a network and, and decide on their own where to move next. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. then you remember probably the Egglets framework, right? I think I heard about it. But this was from yeah. I think from IBM and 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 the uh, the agents yes. were uh, the next idea of Genie. I don't know whether they remember Genie, Java Intelligent Network Infrastructure. And the agent, I remember, yeah, yeah. And the agent was the idea of moving code. So you, the agent would serialize mm -hmm. itself. It would be like a distributed command pattern, something like this. So you have like a executor nodes, and the agent can move and gets executed, mm -hmm. and you don't know what happened. So and the challenge was the class loading, as I remember, right? Because you, yeah, that was that's yeah. true. You had to move the classes also, and yeah, so that was challenging. I remember that too. Yes, <laughs> and, and and I was fascinated by that because what I experimented back then, just for fun, is you know. Um, you could have, I think it's called marshaled object, and you could actually mm -hmm. uh, pack or like, um, you know, send the object with the classes over the wire already, like a value without. Um, yes. Yeah. Th this was the interesting part, you know, without remotely loading class loaders. So the remote, I wrote a couple of remote uh, class loaders just for fun. I was fascinated by them with caching and whatever. And uh, yeah. Okay, nice. And uh, you did something interesting with the agents, or was it? Um, what I did then as a research project uh, for graduation was uh, I built some kind of um, load balancing uh, mm -hmm. service for them. So uh, more like an information service for them so that they could find out where to find the resources they need. And that was hierarchically uh, it's motivated maybe from things like DNS and so on. And okay. These days, probably you would think of Prometheus or uh, Federated Prometheus. I don't know. But, okay. um, or, or API Gateway. Would I throw in like, something like this? If you're saying this is like... Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really about measuring performance in, in several nodes. Oh, performance. And, and, then Prometheus, okay. Yes. Open metrics. Aggregating okay. this uh, um, further up the tree and moving it. I used Karma for that, I think. Yes. So. Yeah. The funny story is we had already everything, you know. If you would just sell the <laughs> Java technology, technology the right way back then, so with proper names... It, it, it would take complete another trajectory. What I remember, I saw Genie. For me, it was Genie like, you know, the dream framework for microservices because there was a load balancing uh, built in. There was no central piece and it was fairly simple except the configuration, but you could abstract that. And uh, I remember Sun tried to sell, you know, Genie as a distributed uh, printer driver solution for distributing printer drivers. Yep. And I said, hey, you are crazy. Who needs that? I mean, I mean, <laughs> We, yeah. we could use, you know, as load balancers. And, and as I started, you know, to, to sell my ideas, I say, okay, who cares about you? It's, this comes from Sun. And they, the Sun had always, I don't know, at least in Germany, completely crazy ideas, which had null chance, you know, commercially. So this was like, no one was interested in pr printer drivers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then it started with, I remember Kodak cameras at conference that they can install drivers. Like, but I mean, who, who, who cares about cameras, drivers? And, and, and yeah, th this was the problem a little bit. And then it you know, took uh, several years and we get sim similar technology again with proper marketing, I would say. Yeah, so they, I think they were just a bit early. The network is the computer and all yeah. this that was at that time just maybe too early for, yeah. for the mainstream. Yeah. And also cloud, you know, the uh, Sun Grid Engine, I think they call it. Yeah. And I took a look at that. And uh, I mean, w what's the problematic part was, you know, the packaging of the thing. It was even more terrible than uh, Amazon Lambda two years ago. So you had you know, to create a zip and, and send it over the wire. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I asked them, you know, we have already wars. Why are you not creating you know, the, your application servers, put them to the cloud, and I just will ship, you know, your war? It would be then serverless even. But uh, there yep. was competing, you know, competing department who didn't like properly the uh, uh, Java server guys and tried to create something from scratch. So this was a little problematic, yeah. I guess. Well, that was one of the companies I applied to after uh, oh. university, Sun Microsystems, uh, I think in Nuremberg. Uh, and they were also doing grid computing, but it didn't work out. So, uh -huh. yeah. uh, uh, okay, the, uh, the grid didn't work out, or your uh, application? my application? Oh, okay. <laughs> Probably <laughs> both. So, I mean, okay, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, okay, so the uh, your application failed. Oh, sorry, uh, something yes. interesting happened after your uh, genetic algorithm, or sorry, not genetic uh, agent uh, investigations. Oh, I mean, uh, that was my, my graduation. So, uh -huh. um, and after I, after that, I had to look for a job. Yeah. And, um, looking for for and it was uh, in two thousand three, so the industry wasn't exactly in a good shape at that time. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, so I was lucky then and, and found that job at SAP in Waldorf. Yes, I, I think around two thousand three, I spent a lot of time in. Uh, a little bit time in Waldorf, so I helped to build, I forgot, uh, it was a, a kind of a web framework. So I tried to help them with the structure of the framework. I forgot the name. 
Which and, mentioned that it's WebDynpro. Yes, uh, yeah. the, f <laughs> the, the first version. That was, that was quite new at the time, I remember, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and then I spent uh, 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 many weeks in St. Leon, I think. Is this right, the city? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then I teached, you know, the uh, Ava program is Java. Yes. And this was very interesting to me because they had a really nice background and we had conversations about, you know, the, the Ava virtual machine. And I even <clears> met a guy, I don't know how, he actually created the virtual machine with the other guy, very famous guy from, from SAP, the founder of SAP. Um, what is so the name? Platner. Plato, right? Plato Platner. Hasso Platner, yeah. I think, is the guy who created And there was like another guy and both created in the in some garage the first version of the uh, of the ABAP. And we had chat about that. So those were crazy times back then. Mm -hmm. And the uh and the it was really interesting to convince, you know, other programmers to uh, to learn Java because they were happy with ABAP. <laughs> so they, they, yes. they could, couldn't understand, you know, why we have uh, external IDE and they had everything integrated mm -hmm. and and yes. they challenged me. They challenged me and say, "Okay, I can just I don't know ever, but all I can just show you how I do do things." And and this is how we started to like each other because I showed them a little bit of my world. I asked how it looks in a long, uh, looks in ABAP and SAP, and I learned a lot. And uh, it was for me from then this SAP system became a little bit more interesting. But before that, I thought it's yep. like you know like a boring I don't know repo generator. But then it's okay. This is almost similar architecture like what Java has actually. Yeah. So. Um I can imagine how, how that impression uh, is, is created, that it's boring. But at the time when it was created, I think that architecture was quite visionary. Yeah, and, and, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, funny, though, um, I was uh, in, in St. Leon Road at that time, too, probably for my first classes at SAP to, to get my introduction to the company and everything. And I was already uh, familiar with Java, and, and I had to learn ABAP at that time ah, <laughs> to okay. do my job. So. And uh, what I also remember... The, uh, the Java move to from SAP was caused by a young CTO of SAP. I forgot his name. Mm -hmm. And he Chayagasi. Yeah, exactly. And he wanted to have you know the Java, and uh, then nice Java things happens in SAP. Okay, cool. So uh, if we can talk about that, so at SAP, what you did then? What what you started with? Was it a complete um, switch switch gears and did something completely different, or you stick with your uh, with so, agents and stuff like that? No, I mean it was a bit more. Um... To the ground, I would say, I mean, uh, you have to solve actual problems people have. At, and and, and uh, so what I did is, uh, yes, actually, I approached the, the SAP recruiters at CBIT and, and said I want to do um, distributed systems, uh, middleware for distributed systems. That was what I told them. Mm -hmm. And then I started in a department that developed a component called master data management. So mm -hmm. it's about moving master data between different systems. and. Um, Mm -hmm. So the actual distributed systems aspect wasn't too strong from my okay. perspective as I was used to much more technical things. But I learned a lot about the whole enterprise uh, world, enterprise software world. And so mm -hmm. Looking back at that, so I, I really learned a lot, even though at that time I may not have liked it all the time, but okay. um, it was quite, quite interesting. Yeah. And you used Java? Uh, not that much. I still used uh, ABAP at that time. Okay. So ABAP uh, was also used yeah. internally to, to program yes. things. Okay, yes. I thought it was like an external language and internally using C, Java or something else. No, no. I mean, uh, still today, uh, a lot of mm -hmm. the SAP applications are programmed in, in ABAP. So. And th then you, at one point, did Java again at SAP or stick with ABAP? A bit, yeah, but much later. So we, we had uh, this integration uh, component. Uh, at that time, it was called Exchange Infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, that um, is one of those enterprise integration frameworks. And, and that, this um, did things like use either Java or XSLT for, for mapping data structures. So I had some look also at that, but not that much. So it was mainly doing ABAP, yes. Okay. Those times. Is the framework has something to do with the Java resource adapter? Because I use some sometimes the JCA, which was called by SAP JRR, to call uh, SAP routines from Java. So in several projects back then, is it part of that or is something different? You know that? Well, I sometimes also used that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that might also be related to what what is called JCO at SAP. JCO exactly. The yeah. JCO is yeah. the lower level, and this is wrapped with JR, Java resource yeah, adapter. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. And the Jayco, you you had to knew the I forgot the name of the routines at the SAP part, and then it RCS. Yeah, exactly. And 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 then yeah. it almost worked like a stored procedure call from Java. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I was able to install that on different application servers. So I got uh, some jobs in order to help people to work with that, and it worked actually well. So if you knew you know the name of the routines and the input and output parameters, that was also unusual 
as I remember, you could get result from a parameter, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, this, this yes. worked actually well. And we abstracted that with a thin, you know, layer, one Pojo, which abstracted mm -hmm. that, and they used that, and everyone was happy. So, um, yeah. And they were, everyone was surprised how easy it actually was. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's even more easy in bet between two ABAP-based systems because it's then very natural to the programming mm -hmm. language. It's really like, like calling a local function. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So now, but, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and oh. you did something interesting with Java and SAP, or you just you are just now enter, how to call it chief ABAP officer? <laughs> oh no no! <laughs> um, later, several years later, I was um, doing a bit more on Java again. With we had to investigate different application services, uh, application servers. Sorry, mm -hmm. um, because we were also integrating with uh, companies that just got acquired, and um, they were not all using already the SAP application server for Java. Oh. But we, we we had also to look at JBoss and and other mm -hmm. um, application servers, and I was uh, looking a lot at the JEE standard at the time mm -hmm. because that was the only thing we were supposed to rely on so to make that really portable, and mm -hmm. that was actually quite frustrating because all the application servers had their their subtleties, especially in class loading and yeah. um, doing really portable enterprise Java development. At least at that time, was quite difficult. When was it? Which year? You remember? I think it must have been around 2008, 2009. Because this was fairly late. As this usually yeah. should work better, except you did the ear part. 2008 or nine, so, you, you can go the wars, yeah. then it would, would work perfectly. Ears were more challenging. So if you just did applications, probably it could have worked. We were supposed to do some uh, framework. And uh, so resource injection on our own, and ah, according okay. to certain annotations. And, yeah, but this this, yeah. this is not standardized at all. You know, this is the extensive. yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah, of course, this is really challenging, and and you can yeah. just cannot use Java standard for that because Java is supposed to to you to 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 be used by apps, and this works well. But if you try to extend the server, uh, this is not standardized at all. <laughs> and, yes. and I guess <laughs> the most challenging one was probably JBoss or Whitefly with modules, right? I don't really remember all the details. But okay. Yeah. After well, that uh, episode, it got back again to um, about programming for a while. <laughs> of course, you said <laughs> never again. <laughs> that uh, class loading hell. Back to ABAP. <laughs> no, it was just also because of the project. So it's um, not really a personal decision. But um, we later did some uh, tool development. Or oh, I got into a team that did developer tools. So not really the server side so mm -hmm. much, but. Um, we developed developer tools for different platforms. So mm -hmm. one again in ABAP, but also uh, another one for Eclipse. Mm -hmm. And um, so we did uh, Eclipse plugin development. Uh, learned a bit about OSGI and oh. this world. You you like that? Um, first, yes, but um, yeah. <laughs> after a while, I mean, it can get really complex. Yeah. The, the dependency hell and, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because for me, it was the Java E was lesser hell than OSGI. So this was my personal. Touch, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> and um, body class. But what I mm -hmm. probably missed to, to explain before I did all this, I was also interested in looking in um, information discovery, so enterprise search, and, and mm -hmm. had a look at thematic uh, web. You did no more, uh, no uh, more like not not really. That was not related to Java, so that was before I did Java again at SAP and. In, in the oh, of the semantic web, like RDF. Yes. Re re uh, RDF, OWL, and, and these oh, languages. It is interesting, actually. And still it was more a mm -hmm. personal research topic. It wasn't really applied at SAP, but um, it was quite interesting. And, and I was a, a fan of that for a while, but it didn't really take off. Maybe it will these days with all the machine learning and, and artificial intelligence in the background. A, a little bit. Uh, you know yeah. schema.org? I think it's called? Yes. So you can have like a, a metadata snippets, which uh, additionally, you know, or either metadata text or yes. JSON, which describes, you know, mm -hmm. additional metadata from, so this is this is actually useful. Yeah, that's that's true. But I mean, uh, that was, uh, with OWL, you were also looking at, um, what is it called? Uh, um, reasoning and, and, and these things. So really evaluating the different statements and, and making yeah, yeah. new you could actually you, you you would see it's almost like graph database like uh, mm -hmm. uh you would see the you know the links between concepts and stuff yes, like. yes. i was also very into it I, I read that because i thought i could use it you know in my java projects i somehow i, mm -hmm. I felt that it will never take off in the web but for uh in a project could mm -hmm. be interesting and neo4j like for the graph database could I, I think you could just with the concept from back then rdf you could apply them to Neo4j, do something with it, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, times changed and, and the projects projects changed. And um, after a while, I, I looked into different things. So um, we did then uh, something around the standard called OData. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what I, where I wrote those uh, developer tools. And um, mm-hmm. so it was design time tools for OData. And um, I like OData. Yeah. And I don't understand why. It... Really? And you know it because not so many do. I mean... All data became a thing as Microsoft came with the Azure cloud, and all data mm-hmm. came from. Uh, it was like the first standard for REST proposed by Microsoft, yes. and then they used it in their own cloud. And uh, and uh, I look at that as okay, this is not bad because it uh, defines the RESTful principles of uh, all mm-hmm. data uh, of of RESTful principles of of REST, of course, of HTTP. And uh, and uh, you can have like a reflection, and you, know, you can fetch, you can. There are defined filters and stuff. So it is everything is predefined. So I don't have to carry it by myself. In one project, I had to use the Apache Olingo project. Yeah. And, so that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it worked somehow well. The problem was uh, the uh, uh, a developer uh, extended that and we, we had to, to think what, to, what, what we should do with the extension because it was a fork. And uh, then I said, okay, actually, uh, we should standardize it again and do, for instance, a micro profile API or data because for me, or data, it's more interesting than GraphQL, for instance, right? Because all data already talks with the data source, and GraphQL is more like a facade, which uh, involves a lot mm-hmm. of work. So you need to write an uh, OD, yeah. the layer by yourself, and all data is already ready to go. And lots of projects just need to you know the data to be exposed. And this is very pragmatic stuff. So I'm really surprised mm-hmm. it doesn't take off. And I thought now, you know, this year, I, there will be a little bit more quiet, and I get some time to, to do something with it, but I get more requests than ever. So this is a little bit of a problem. But uh, yeah. Uh, I really like all data. What, what's okay, your opinion? That's good. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it plays an important role, and it is uh, also fairly easy yeah. for uh, less experienced developers uh, to expose REST APIs using all data. Yeah, and, and what I don't like in all yeah. data is the naming convention. It looks strange. So if you look at the Uri, I forgot <laughs> yes. this. You know, at the Uri, I think the parameters like underscore something it, that doesn't look right. So, uh, but uh, beside this, if they would have a nicer, you know, feeling to it, it would be perfect. Mm-hmm. I, if you if you look at the URI, it's like, okay, this is crap. It will never fly. But it's, the concepts are great, but the naming is horrible from my perspective. Or the so naming actually, conventions. Naming conventions. Actually, we, we currently discuss um, in the cloud events discovery, for the cloud events discovery service, mm-hmm. uh, we discussed REST APIs. Mm-hmm. And uh, several times already some challenges occurred, and, and I could always point to uh, the OData standard definition and, and uh, say it has already been solved there, and OData it's done this way. and it was okay. fun to see it again. How how it can be useful? So you you, you spend some time all data. Why why that? So it yes. was like assignment, or you wanted to do this? Both, I suppose. So I mean, I, I applied for that uh, department who did mm-hmm. it, and um, uh, yeah. So we spent some time. Uh, yeah, as I said, it plays a quite important role at SAP, mm-hmm. uh, as it's uh, serving the data for mo- most of the UIs. And um, yeah, I think for that purpose, it's it's also really good. And, yeah, for um, SAP UI yeah. five out of the box. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, as it's, I mean, it's it's like talking to a, a relational database, and uh, so yeah. there, it's it's really well suited, I think. Yeah, and uh, I use uh, SAP UI five web components a lot. Actually, they are great. Okay. I don't, I'm not using the framework. I just using mm-hmm. the web components, which is which have actually nothing to do with SAP, but you can just load date pickers. Perfect. For instance, I could just uh, load. Actually, okay. in one of my courses, I even uh, loaded the date picker. And at the recent conference, someone asked me, can you show us how to add you know, third-party web component? And I just thought, okay, the most impressive is probably the date picker. So I just loaded the date picker as a web component and added it to the view, and it worked right away. Okay. So mm-hmm. I, I have to admit, I never did UI5 myself. <laughs> the web um, components because... are really, I would say, they are okay. super simple. They look great, and they are standard-based. So there is no no exaggeration, no overdoing, nothing. Okay, so I heard about them, but I have a never project. tried them. Search yeah. for SAP, mm-hmm. SAP UI5 web components, and you will find it. Yeah, so my colleagues probably would be happy to hear this. And uh, yeah, yeah, just forward but... to them. So um, I can <laughs> was happy to you know to talk with them. But uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you did the OData uh, stuff, and uh, what happened then? So was it done, or were you bored um, by? APIs. Well, the the um, design time tools. Were, there was less focus on the design time tools, I would say, and and I was looking also for new challenges, and um, so got more into the um, asynchronous um, mm-hmm. integration, so messaging, and mm-hmm. um, that's that's how I got then to uh, also to serverless, and um, once, uh, I, I mean, it was quite 
nice coincidence when we started doing serverless in our team we were also sap was just uh, becoming a member of cncf and uh-huh. we were all asked um if we uh, see some uh, special interest group or working group we would be interested in and i saw a serverless working group and said yeah of course <laughs> let's try and um the next coincidence at that time they were just getting started doing the cloud event standard it wasn't even ca- called cloud events yet so that name was only found a few weeks later, and um, so I, um, yeah, Just kept two years uh, ago. participating. Yeah, about a bit more than two years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first serverless. Uh, is there any standard for serverless actually? I don't think so, right? So serverless is just uh, does a couple of implementations, but there is no standards of, as far as I know, right? Not really. I mean, that's what the serverless working group is uh, trying uh, to identify topics for which uh, some. Standardization can be done and specified. And but there's nothing, cloud, no, not, yeah. nothing released yet, right? So cloud events is one part. Yeah, cloud events. Events, but, events play an important role in sure. triggering functions and everything. So that's why we started with this. And um, there is another specification about serverless workflows. Mm-hmm. So um, also done from within the serverless working group. I think they are just not sure what the status is, but they, I think they are becoming a project on their own now. And, and what's, what's this, the purpose of serverless workflows? So what, what does this mean? Put it short, I think it's, it's uh, doing similar things to, to what uh, the step functions, I think it's called in Lambda. Okay. So what, what they are doing there, so you, you, have, you execute functions you, you, that, again, um, create some events, and those events then um, trigger uh, something else. And, and so you have these um, mm-hmm. uh, automatons, I think it's basically. You, you create events, you create a new state, and, and that triggers again something, and a new event is, is created and so on. Yeah, and uh, it's a bit like a state machine, yes. And serverless is, I would say, very similar to almost agents, reverse agents, because yeah, for for me, uh, serverless like mm-hmm. a distributed command pattern again. So, uh, so a serverless function is a command, which mm-hmm. is triggered by something, and this was not standardized. Now they try to 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 standardize that with so-called cloud event. This is my mm-hmm. understanding, and um, and uh, the cool part is that the cloud event spec. It's actually fairly simple. So uh, this is yes. like a JSON structure, and I actually using cloud events. If I now need an inspiration or idea how a message should look like in Java, I just pick cloud event because there is nothing else mm-hmm. available right now. And this is you don't even need a framework. It's just JSON B, and this is like you need. I think yep. I type, and uh, type is mandatory. Then you have the extensions, and uh, there's just type like, source. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. We'll go through this. I think this is type source, uh, uh, and uh, the payload is an ext- extension, right? called um no the, the payload is uh, uh, in the beginning had an attribute for this called data but it's now depends on the protocol binding if it's actually an attribute called data or if it's just a, mm-hmm. um just the payload of a message mm-hmm. yeah so i think yeah it's type source um the, the version of the cloud event specification that is mm-hmm. used so spec version mm-hmm. um and the event id i think those are the, the mm-hmm. mandatory exactly fields. and the event yeah. and, and type have to be unique so far, as far as I know, right? The, the combination of both. Uh, source, um, source and ID, I think. So, source I think. and ID, exactly. So the, not just yeah. source and ID, and type is a MIME type. No, uh, type is um, something that is supposed, or it should be um, namespace, div- reverse DNS namespaced event type. So you also have content type, maybe, or data content type. The data content type, this is what's yeah. inside. This is what I meant, sorry. This is the, okay. uh, but this was the MIME type, more or less. So That's, yeah, yeah, what's, exactly, what is yes. encoded in the message? What is the mm-hmm. type of the message? Okay, yes. this is the, how do you call it? Content type. Right? Data content type. Data content the type. Exact name and what is your type? So what do you mention now? The, the, uh, this is just the namespace, right? So we know from where. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the type of the event, what, yeah. what happened, so to speak. So source it is uh, where did it happen, type is what happened. And mm-hmm. then there is an optional field called subject, and then you could say to what happened this. So that's then, again, what you can have. Yeah, and then we have content type, which is uh, which says what's inside this JSON structure, because exactly, yes. you could yes. send inside a JSON, XML, JSON, whatever. This is the MIME type, so you have to know how to uh, uh, extract the information from there. And this is basically it, right? Yes. But and, in general um, application, if I would send a cloud event from a microservice, I would use the, let's say, the source would be the URI of my microservice. I could just use the URI of a microservice as the origin where it happens. And the UID, I would just create a simple counter because then it would be unique. This would be a proper way of using yes. cloud events. 
Yes. Yeah. So for the source, you're quite free to what what you want to use there. It's just a, a URI reference mm -hmm. uh, has mm -hmm. to be. And the type would it be? I have a microservice which emits, let's say, log events. So I'm sending logs as cloud events. It's not very efficient, but let's say I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. So then um, my logger microservice, the URI of the microservice would be the source. So what would be the type? The type would be I could define by myself. Well, what would be the best practice? Yes. What would be the best practice? Uh, I, or best practice on idea for log. For log, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just log entry created, or you mm -hmm. just thinking about it. You could also um, make it a bit more fine grained if you have a distinction between warning and information and so on. You could also distinguish this in the type warning created or something like this. It, it's all about um, subscribing and routing events. So mm -hmm. whatever you think is, is useful to distinguish this kind of events from others and, and to subscribe to this specific kind of or type of events. So and then I would put the event somewhere and uh, the hope would be uh, does not work exactly this way but it could there could be a kind of cloud which understands the cloud event and would deserialize this and convert the contents of the event into Java or JavaScript or yes. whatever and call a serverless function like Amazon Lambda for instance. Yes, I mean yeah. it, it can also be used of course without any functions and in, in other yeah. contexts but uh, yes so that, that's actually what we even do for the um, serverless runtime at SAP. So there it's also, it goes directly into the parameters of the function. Mm -hmm. And the serverless runtime at SAP is SAP invention. So there's an SAP cloud somewhere, a serverless Lambda, uh, runtime where I can yes. okay, install functions, right? Yes. And it's, I mean, behind the scenes, it's based on, on open technologies like, like uh, Kubernetes and so on. But yes. Okay, native, I guess. Um, not, not that much yet. Okay. Yeah. Per accident, what I found out right now was the was the naming and stuff of cloud events. I I, I named my Kafka events uh, very similar. What we what we what would talk mm -hmm. about now? So you know, what was the idea behind the event? Why it happened? Uh, what happened? And the timestamp and the payload. Actually, yeah. we could use cloud events, you know, as a template to send uh, for creation of Kafka events, just as an idea of the rough structure, uh, right? Yeah, sure. I mean. Uh... There are protocol bindings for all those uh, messaging uh, technologies like Kafka, NATS, uh, AMQP, MQTT, and so on. Even even JaxRS. I saw there is an example. If you click on Java, really? there's an okay. there, there's an example for JaxRS and I think Jason P with the REST Easy or something. So I was uh, a stunt that is already available for Jakarta or MicroProfile. Yeah, okay. if you go to Cloud Events and you click on Java, you will find HTTP RESTful and and then it will go to. I am not too familiar with the Java SDK. I have to ah. because I'm, I'm not doing Java these days. You are <laughs> so. an ABAP, ABAP guy, I see. No, uh, these days it's GoLang. So ah, oh, and how how yeah. how you like uh, GoLang? Yes, yeah, it's, it's like back to the roots. I mean, I started as I told you with C. Ah, okay. So okay, uh, Go is is kind of a logical um, uh, consequence, or I mean, uh, an evolution uh, mm -hmm. to C. I think. Why not Rust? Well. <laughs> I would also look into Rust uh, mm -hmm. for sure, and, but I mean, in the Kubernetes uh, um, space, uh, Go is just that important. I mean, you, you have all the libraries and, and everything. So, but uh, uh, Go, uh, so Kubernetes, the newer stuff is created with Rust already, right? So it's not like Rust is a little bit more popular because it's even smaller than Go. Is not. That I heard that it's gaining uh, popularity and, and uh, that it's really um, catching up uh, with regards to, to usage in, in the Kubernetes environment. But still, the, the controller uh, um, framework like KubeBuilder and, and all these uh, important tools, if you do Kubernetes, uh, I mean, they're first of all available in, in Go. Mm -hmm. So, What I found from the cloud specification right now, there is already a nice example. Uh, it is a Jakarta E example for cloud events. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it's very, very, uh, I would say, uh, pragmatic. So it's just one REST resource. Event receiver resource, which creates a cloud event, IO cloud events, cloud event, and uh, the coordinates are cloud event, HTTP, RESTful, WS, and the version two. And this is uh, two days ago it happened. So there was the recent version. So they're working okay. back and, and yeah, and looks Jersey and REST easy. Is the, okay. Yeah. And, and so I know that, that recently a lot of people have been quite active in SDK development, also for, for Java, for JavaScript and Go. Mm -hmm. And, and it's really great to see that. And uh, from from Java, the 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 the, uh, the 
how to create a cloud event is cloudevent.v1, which is the cloud event builder, cloudeventbuilder.v1, mm-hmm. with ID, with type, with source. And the source is, of course, uri.create. Type is example vertex in this particular case, and the ID is hello, and then build, and you have your event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's very well, pragmatic. It has been the goal from the beginning to keep it very simple. So in the, in the first months of, of the cloud events discussions in the serverless working group, there have been a, quite a few discussions about new introducing attributes and always some people were then asking again and again do we need this uh, is it really important and, and so on let's make it an extension people might use it but we don't want to have it in the core so it was really great effort to keep it very simple and small yeah how it should be otherwise it becomes a new soap mm-hmm. It also had to you know routing and, and there everything. are some some people in the group who have vivid memories of that and and Better exactly want to avoid that Oh, yeah, exactly right because uh, yep. the soap was you know sold as a D solution and it was misused as a remote procedure call at the end and uh, yep. I, I, I was not aware of any projects with you know extensive uh, use of routing and all the nice stuff which was in soap but was never used. Mm-hmm. This would make me angry actually with soap because uh, <laughs> you know the architects and everyone here in the soap because everything is solved you know routing and so forth and uh, we won't implement this by by ourselves and then at the end of the day. It was used a remote procedure call just to send, you know, XML uh, as a string array, yeah. and this was okay. <laughs> this is like not very honest with, uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, what are the goals? Or so what I know as the spec right now is 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 not that long. And it just it just this is in at GitHub. This is just a markdown of yes. cloud events. I would say probably I don't know fifty pages. I have to look, and that is uh, uh, very readable. And so what are you working then? Is it, is it not done yet, or you know? What is this, it do? So what? the specification for cloud events is, is rather stable right now. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we finished the 1.0, I think, about a year ago almost, uh-huh. and um, we are now looking into um, further topics around it. So we we met last year in, in San Diego at KubeCon and discussed what to do next, uh-huh. and um, had several candidates for for topics. And um, so one of the or two of the most um, Important topics we identified were discovery and subscription, so to standardize more on discovering cloud events in a, in a landscape and also on subscribing to them, so to create a standardized subscription API. Mm-hmm. And that's what's currently being worked on those two. Mm-hmm. In addition, by now, there has been a contribution from Microsoft um, mm-hmm. about a schema registry. So schemas play an important role in cloud events, and, and mm-hmm. so... Um, there's also now um, specification for a standardized API to access a schema registry. Okay. And the subscribe, uh, the subscription, the public subscribe, what you're working on right now, is it uh, almost like GMS, right? So I can subscribe to topics probably and then receive the events or what's, I mean, what's... The idea is to, to really rely on, on cloud event attributes, so to hide the messaging uh, behind the scenes and... Um, so do, do subscriptions based on those attributes we discussed, so the, the mm-hmm. source or the, the subject. Um, because cloud events are supposed to be um, routed across several hops and, and can even switch protocols uh, ah. on their way. So that's that's the, the cool idea, idea of that. Yes. That uh, there will be no topics. The topics are ad hoc created by attributes of the cloud events, right? Is yes, and maybe by the infrastructure, not really part of the um, specification. No, but uh, conceptually. Yep. So I could just you know send a cloud event to the cloud, and mm-hmm. let's say to to the you know the entire cloud, not just Microsoft or SAP or whatever. So the entire yep. cloud, and then you know because my cloud event, which I have to be more precise right now, has the uh, source type and ID. Uh, with that, there's like a virtual channels where I can subscribe, and they are supposed yes. to be unique. And then I will receive the event. Of course, in 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 practice, we will get you know brokers and channels or topics or whatever because it's impossible just to send something and hope it will yes, arrive. But uh, exactly, yeah. But uh, yeah. I think in practice we will get you know topics, and in the topics are different uh, cloud events, and we can subscribe to directly to attributes of the cloud event, right? Yes. With so there are the subscription API sees both um, cases. So one thing is called the, the native subscription capabilities in messaging protocols like like MQTT or MQP, you already have something like a topic and, and can subscribe to that by the means of that protocol. Mm-hmm. But in other protocols, or when you want to have more something like a, it's called a push style uh, um, events, I mean, mm-hmm. the most prominent case would probably be a webhook, 
Mm-hmm. You then can use that um, subscription API we are specifying there to subscribe to events. Mm-hmm. And uh, will you get something like an expression language? So I say, you know, I'm just interested in will it be exact match or partial match or stuff like that. So you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So far, we have just uh, so we we already have planned to have um, different filter types in those mm-hmm. subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So far, we just have specified what we call a basic filter set. And you just do, um, I think it's, it's prefix, suffix matching, or exact matching. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would expect that um, at some point we will have also more sophisticated ways to define filters. And uh, because it's JSON, you could actually write, you know, a cloud event emitter in JavaScript in a web component and send it to the backend directly by HTTP2 or WebSockets, for instance, right? Yes, I suppose so, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to prevent you because yep. uh, this is like, you know, this is a plain JSON. It's easy to consume from JavaScript. So this you can you can have direct browser integration actually over WebSockets or HTTP mm-hmm. HTTP two the direct integration. Okay, I mean so- it's not always JSON. It depends on the protocol binding being used. You you can have HTTP binary mode, then the attributes are in the HTTP header, and the the payload is just the message uh, body. Mm-hmm. Or uh, also for other protocols, there is this distinction. In AMQP, you can have binary mode or what we call structured mode. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So yeah. it depends. It's not always just JSON. No, but uh, the uh, the example in this spec is JSON, the last one. And, uh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. This is why I got the JSON. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you're right, so I now see the object. And by the way, the spec is not uh, not even 15 pages, I guess, because it's one pager in in uh, GitHub, and this is around 500 lines, I think, center, I think, with some... Um... And uh, yeah, the entire object here is the spec version, 1.0. Then we have the type. Which is uh, in this this particular case, com GitHub pull create. This is the name of the type. Then we have the source, and this is GitHub com cloud event spec pool. So this is the source w- where it happened. Then we have the subject. This is uh, in this particular case is nothing one two three. So it's just hello world. ID. This is um, yeah. This is an looks like an ID. The time, of course, when it happened. And this looks like an RFC t- uh, type. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then. Uh, Exactly. Then is an extensions, which uh, two extensions, data content type. This is what I, uh, because this is for me the most important type, what's inside. In this particular case, it's text XML because it's encoded and the data is the payload. And then there's also data schema, I think. So where you can then add a, a URL or URI of a schema describing the content data schema, or the, exactly. the payload. Yeah. This was not part of the example, but there's a, a specified, mm-hmm. this is the URI, identify, identifies the schema that that data adheres to. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a very pragmatic spec. I think this is the difference to, you know, the WS star specs back then, where, you know, I think this spec is shorter than the, you know, forward of the, uh, or or just the, of the WS star specifications back then, as you remember then. Yeah, I mean, you can even um, send a cloud event just by using a curl command or everything. It's, it's really simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, who is using already cloud events? You know this? But some users, I think, or some companies using it are listed on that Cloud Events uh, mm-hmm. homepage. I think if you scroll down on that cloudevents.io, mm-hmm. I, I know I mean, for sure. I mean, do you know someone yeah. you know from your project? I know about Azure, of course. They, mm-hmm. they really support it, mm-hmm. uh, as they also are a very big contributor to the whole project. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. We use it at SAP. And, yeah. um, Interesting. Oracle Cloud several use this. Alibaba. Yeah. Then uh, Debezium. This is uh, the... Um, Already had it on the show. This is Gunnar Morling, so it's a nice guy. What the BSIM is a nice thing. It uh, serializes the database transactions into Kafka mm-hmm. events. Then ah, yeah. uh, Azure Event Cloud Cogito is also nice because Cogito is uh, ships with Quarkus, which is a nice and small uh, Java framework, way smaller and faster than Go, of course. <laughs> then we have uh, OpenFast and uh, yeah. then Serverless Com Event Gateway, and it, now it comes to Serverless Workload specification. Which is listed here, so it also used here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Trigger Mesh which just seems like a product. Yes, it is uh, also in the serverless space. I think they are also based on on Knative. Mm-hmm. So perfect. So any any other things you are working on which are more exciting than serverless cloud <laughs> events and workflows? Uh, no, that that actually keeps me quite busy. So okay. So it was really fun. I learned a lot, and uh, thank you. And I would like to reinvite you back, you know, to hear what happens in the serverless. World and hopefully back then, back to Java. You know, you will find out that Go is way too complicated and way too bloated, and you need to you know some of your old J2E memories with class loaders. So, 
<laughs> I don't know. Most people say that about Java, way too bloated these days, but okay. <laughs> no, Java is great. I still, I actually do all my work with Java, and uh, I really appreciate it. And actually, I wanted to do more with Go, but I get so many requests with Java, so this is mission impossible. I also wanted, you know, to do more with Rust, but also not happened. So the only language which I really uh, did uh, more than, or, or did a little bit more was uh, C, C++, and now a lot of JavaScript, but anything else is mission impossible. Just I always wanted to, to get a bit more deeper into other JVM-based languages like Scala, but never really found the time. Uh, this is uh, not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think Go is more interesting, I would say. Uh, my okay. opinion is, then do something completely different. So Java, JVM is okay, but if you're know, interested in more, I would just you know, pick completely different language to, to, to learn something completely new. And because if you do, you know, Scala or other Kotlin, you always have the opportunity to talk back to Java, or whatever. So a little mm -hmm. bit not that honest, honest. But if you start with Go or Rust, you are in a complete new environment. You are forced to learn more. Yeah. So Rust is, is pretty much uh, on the top of the list right now. Okay. For the next and language to look at. I yeah. think something different. Well, you know what? What you will have to learn soon. WebAssembly. No? Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that too, of course. Yes. <laughs> and this makes perfect sense with uh, serverless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yes. So I think so this would is, be yeah. number one. If so you do I'm something always, with uh, WebAssembly, ping me. We have a chat again about WebAssembly. <laughs> okay. Serverless WebAssembly. That's that's also on my, my list uh, to keep an eye on. But it's not as high as yes. Rust. It should be higher than Rust in my eyes. I don't know. They don't really compete, I would say. But yeah. Yeah, but list, you know, you, you cannot have two items in number one. That's true. It's uh, actually it's not a list, but a mind map, and ah, okay. there are different <laughs> okay. branches in that. Yes. That's fair. Okay. So, uh, Klaus, thank you. Yep. And do you have uh, you. where where people can find you? Do you have you know I don't know a blog properly or Twitter or whatever? Is it? Um, I'm on Twitter, yes, and on GitHub. Oh, very good. Uh huh. Uh, what's your GitHub uh, coordinates? It's uh, Dysner K. Dysner K. And yes. Twitter? Uh, <laughs> the other way around. It's K Dysner. Of course. Yes. <laughs> and YouTube uh, is in the middle. The K. No. <laughs> okay. No, it's I will it has put some history, but yeah. Yeah, what is the history? So tell me just the history. Oh, it's uh, I started in my private life with KDISN on GitHub and mm -hmm. then uh, had to get a GitHub handle while, because I was doing all that work on GitHub now for SAP. And then I chose another one for that, and that was Dyson K. Okay. And because that was always also my login name in, in the ABAP systems, <laughs> that was ah, the history. Okay. And uh, that's why I chose it there. But at that time, I already had the Twitter account uh, using mm -hmm. KDISNA. So. so you have two GitHub accounts, DISNA K and KDISNA? Yeah, but yeah, but the private one never really took off, so I didn't really do anything there. So I will probably find still the Amiga stuff, right? Your, your disk. It <laughs> <laughs> never happens on GitHub, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, thank you. It was fun. And uh, yeah, here, see you next time. Yeah, bye. Thank bye. you.